Hey friends, welcome to episode 77 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm Dara Swift and I am thankful that you are here listening in and that is so appropriate because this week is Thanksgiving and I give thanks for you. My listeners, thank you so much for joining me and today I have an amazing show and I feel like this story is such a redemption story and it's just such an amazing story to have the week of thanksgiving in the aftermath of spiritual abuse by toxic leaders of a cult athena dean holtz's shattered life seemed hopeless she desperately needed to be rescued and redeemed from the ruins of spiritual abuse Deceived by Scientology, the New Age movement, and 12 years in a restrictive and legalistic cult, she lost everything. Her marriage, relationships, home, business, money, even her reputation, gone. But the devastation of spiritual abuse is not how this story ends. In this candid and inspirational episode, Athena shares with us how her shattered life was transformed, hear how God restored what was taken from her, and how he gave her the desires of her heart. And it's just such an amazing Cinderella story as she refers to it. I know what Athena has to share will encourage, inspire, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Athena Dean Holtz. Welcome back to the Fierce Calling Podcast. I am excited to welcome my friend today, Athena Dean Holtz. She is a podcaster, former radio host. She's an author, speaker, publisher, which is really cool, a bookstore owner, and a pastor's wife. She serves women who've been wounded by the church or other traumatic life experiences so they can learn to trust God again. After 13 years of a Job-like experience where she lost everything she held dear, she found God redeeming her in ways she could never have expected. Her modern-day Cinderella story is a testimony to the faithfulness of God, and I am so excited to have you today. Welcome to the show, Athena. Thank you, Doris. It's just a delight to be here with you. Thank you. You are such a joy. I got to spend some time with you at some conferences, and it was just so amazing hearing you speak and share your story. And uh, I was blessed by getting a copy of your book, Full Circle, that you um, signed for me. So that was fun. And so I would love if you could share a little bit about your story and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. I would love to do that. Um, I, you know, short version for kind of what led up to those 13 years of spiritual abuse and just unbelievable, um, traumatic, uh, loss and church hurt. I never heard the gospel until I was 33. So I definitely, um, came more from a new age background and, um, really didn't know the first thing about who Jesus was. And I was kind of a, followed after my dad, who was a self-made millionaire. He was started knocking on doors uh, for Encyclopedia Britannica and ended up being the senior vice president of sales and, you know, had a jet and, you know, made a million dollars a year. And I mean, very successful. And I looked up to him and wanted to be like him. And so 
I did become very successful in a number of different businesses. And uh, they were always, whatever Christians were around, oh my gosh, I was so snarky and so... I mean, I was a Christian hater. I really was. I just thought I didn't need a crutch. I didn't need, I mean, whatever, you know, I just really felt I was so full of pride and so full of myself that I, I didn't see a need for Jesus. And I didn't, because I didn't, had never heard the gospel and had never really learned what that all meant. I blew it off uh, quite easily And just um, because I had a number of traumatic experiences in my childhood and teenage years and first marriage, I pretty much work was my medication of choice. So success and making things happen. I'm kind of a type A get it done person. So that was an easy way for me to keep the pain that I never really dealt with kind of tucked away and stuffed down. And um, because of that, I uh, was pretty shallow. I had a lot of trauma that did not ever, even before I became a believer, did not ever get addressed. And and then even after becoming a believer, (laughs) did not get addressed. So because that was a key factor in the third to early 12 or 13, almost 13 years of deception that I walked into as a Christian. I was a Christian when I walked into that and got taken in. And what I realized after that 13 years was that my unhealed wounding made me vulnerable. And so that was a piece of my life that I had made off limits. And then, of course, when I did come to know the Lord after, you know, years of new age, which included Scientology, working at the Celebrity Center in Hollywood, you know, working with all the big wigs and the important people and all of that, after all of that, then coming to know the Lord in a very dramatic way, but, you know, you hear that we're a new creation, we're under the blood, you know, don't look back, just keep your eyes on Jesus. So I had all the scriptures to excuse not processing that pain that was still in my life. I just had really blanked it out pretty much and gone on with life. So the early part of my salvation experience, um, my husband and I uh, ended up just going right into full-time ministry. Not a good idea. Uh, There's a scripture that talks about not laying hands on someone who's a new believer because, you know, pride can take over. There's just no foundation there. And um, we basically jumped into ministry for Vietnam veterans and their family members. And this was in 86, uh, where, I mean, PTSD wasn't even a word. 
and small groups was not even a way to do ministry back then. Mm -hmm. But we ended up starting small groups all over the country led by Vietnam veterans who knew the Lord. And they were having small groups and having these guys come in and the wives were working with the um, family members, but processing through trying to understand this thing called post-traumatic stress, because, you know, back in the eighties, Vietnam veterans were not well, they weren't respected. They were, you know, um, it wasn't like World War II or, or World War I or even Korea. So it was a real amazing, it was an amazing ministry because we saw these veterans who had been told that they just had to uh, learn to cope with it, take their medication from the VA and move on, which didn't work. Yeah. Um, for them to meet Jesus and have a radical uh, transformation in their lives was just a sight to behold. I mean, it was amazing to watch that. And that is how I ended up, uh, getting into publishing because we actually published a book that was, uh, described PTSD in layman's terms. And at the very end talked about meeting Jesus and, and how that can affect that spiritual piece can affect that, um, you know, dealing with all the symptoms of PTSD. So um, we couldn't find a publisher. So we had somebody help us design the cover and do a rewrite, do all the stuff to make it a book. And we printed 10,000 copies and someone walked in out of nowhere. We didn't even know who he was, walked into our office and paid for the whole thing because we sure didn't have $10,000 to do that. But over the next two years of being in ministry events at the traveling wall or at the um, different conferences that we put on as the ministry, uh, we went through all 10,000 books in two years and met someone who said, you know what, I can sell this to a publisher. And he did that, sold it to Multnomah Press at the time. And I mean, we had a great self-publishing experience that turned into a traditional contract. Mm. And from that, people started saying, well, can you help me with my book? So that's how I ended up in publishing. And about eight years into publishing, I ended up doing a book for a quote unquote pastor. Uh, Little did I know he was a con man. He was a narcissist, a sociopath, a you know, he was very toxic, but he knew how to quote scripture like no one I'd ever heard. I mean, that guy could say, you know, quote scriptures almost every other sentence. And it was a little disarming for me. I mean, it made me feel like, where have I been for the last 13 years that I don't know scripture like this? Mm. Well, part of it, you know, was jumping right into ministry. I didn't really have a chance, but still there was something else behind this person that was deceptive, but it, so it was a lot of scripture being shared and being talked about, but what I didn't realize at the time was it was being misapplied. It was being uh, taken out of context. It was being used to manipulate and control and shame and shun and and 
and kind of move forward the agenda that this quote unquote pastor had, which was to control everyone in this small church, if you want to call it a church, I would, I would call it a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, eight years into my publishing journey, having one of the most well-respected Christian publishing houses called wine press publishing, um, we basically got taken in by this guy and his wife who ended up taking over the business. Um, just really uh, picking a fight with my husband to get him out of the way. And, and that's what I found out later. That's what people who are toxic and use um, scripture to manipulate people and, and are, you know, setting up kind of a cult situation where you can't question, you can't say, well, does that scripture really mean what you just said it means? Because I don't see that in the scripture. I mean, that's a healthy thing to be able to do as a Berean, but we couldn't, that was not allowed. And um, so basically what ended up happening was over the next 12 years, he and his wife pretty much, you know, got me to divorce my husband in Jesus name, gave me a scripture to, um, you know, endorse their recommendation, got me to cut off my relationships with my kids. If they didn't agree, um, you know, their idolaters have nothing to do with them. Uh, they got me basically to give them a, a, by the time they actually got it into their possession, it was a 20 year old $3.5 million publishing company mm. and they got it for 10 bucks. Wow. That was my gift to God. And they had basically conned me into believing that my salvation was wrapped up in me obeying this that God wanted. He wanted me to give it up and surrender it. So, you know, people like that can quote, I mean, there are scriptures that you can quote that totally can justify asking someone to do something that seems odd or even seems not right or you know but if you then read the scripture before and the scripture after in the context you find out it doesn't mean that at all so the long story short okay long story short mm -hmm. after that uh got turned over to them and um you know my eyes were opened to what had happened and what had been done and it was devastating to realize I had believed a lie and I had led other people into that lie because I was so sure it was the truth. Mm -hmm. So once I, I came to that realization that this was not God, um, I had a lot of work to do to heal from that. and. I think because of that healing time that I spent and seeing how all that undealt with pain and trauma kind of set me up for being vulnerable to be deceived by these people. It was a, it was a real turning point for me after that 13 years 
of really losing everything. I mean, I lost my house, my, you know, everything. I lost my company. I lost my career. I lost my friends, my family, my marriage, everything. And, you know, I had to say to myself, Lord, what did I, what was wrong with me that I would believe a lie is the truth and give up everything for it? You got to, I got to be able to see what, what did I do that allowed, you know, it wasn't, I, I, I knew I played a part, but I just didn't understand how it could have happened. And that was when the Lord basically kind of showed me your unhealed wounds left you vulnerable. You had no foundation. You didn't know the difference between scripture in context and out of context. So easily manipulated. Uh, And I didn't, I didn't respond to the red flags that I saw because I'm kind of a people pleaser. I don't want to, I hate conflict. Yeah, <laughs> and I get that. <laughs> because I hate conflict, mm-hmm. I like. Oh, he didn't really mean that, or they didn't really, really no. Yeah. You know, I talk myself out of it, right? So, um, you know, there were these series of things that God showed me, so that I could own my part. Were they wrong to do what they did to me? Absolutely. I mean, it was evil what they did, but God tried to warn me (laughs) more than once. I mean, the editor who was working on this guy's book said, don't publish this. It's borderline heresy. Wow. But before she said that, they had said to me, you know, people that don't really love God, you know, they're on the wide road. We're on the narrow road they're on the wide road. And if they say that this, you know, there's something wrong with this theology or the doctrine, it's just because they just love their life instead of hating their life. Like Luke 14, 26 says we have to, in order to really love God and follow him. So it was kind of like they groomed me to put my hand up and say, talk to the hand. I don't want to hear it when God's actually waving a red flag saying, hello, don't do this. But, you know, they prepped me for that. And that's, that's how, that's how people like that operate when they're, they're spiritually abusing people is they will use the scriptures they want to use to get you to come to a conclusion they want you to come to. And if you're vulnerable, it's easy for them to do. I mean, when I started doing my homework on how cults work and how people like this operate, I'm like, this has been going on for a long time. And they, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, they all do the same thing. They all use the same scriptures to try and divide families, to try and get you to give up your money, your house, your whatever. And so obviously it works. It's like, you know, the enemy is, He's not stupid. Yeah, he's cunning and he knows the word. And um, but I it's so powerful for you to share this part of your story because 
oftentimes people wouldn't want to share because of pride or embarrassment or shame. But, and I'm sure there's been times where you may have even felt that coming through the whole process, but sharing this in order to shed the light, because that's what we're to do. We're to shine the light of Christ on dark things. And just because someone quotes something from the Bible, it doesn't mean that they're believers, that they're good, that their intentions are good and honest. And I love how you brought out the fact that unhealed and undealt with trauma makes a person vulnerable to be able to be manipulated. But I also, from this since you equate it to the Job-like story, how you could have very well turned away from God and back to the New Age stuff, because that could be a whole another episode that we could talk about, I'm sure. But yeah, so tell us about then what happened as you were coming out of it. And because God is just such a God of restoration, how that began to happen in your life. Yeah, I, I actually, when I, when I finally walked away, I was like, if this is God, I don't want him. Cause, cause those kinds of toxic cult-like churches basically will say to you, if you leave us, you're turning your back on God. I mean, that's a common line that they use to manipulate you into being silent and staying. And so I was like, okay, well, if this is God, then I don't want him. And as I walked away then, and my son actually um, took me to a lawyer so I could say, you know, what do I do here? I've lost everything and I, I, I'm not sure what to do. Do I uh, do bankruptcy? Do I, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. And he like went through the paperwork from the sale and just said, fraud, scam, fraud. I mean, I was like in shock. But what and this, I get emotional when I talk about this, what I realized was that was not God. They were not representing God. And for 13 years, I thought they were. And every time I would criticize or say, you know, I'm having a hard time with this, or I don't think this is right. Um, you know, they would use, well, take the log out of your own eye. You know, you, you don't need to be looking, you've got a bitter root, you know, so using all those scriptures to shut you up when you're trying to point something out, you know, so that kind of made me think God was just always looking for me to mess up so he could discipline me. Right. And then to realize, oh my gosh, that's not who God is. I mean, yes, he's holy and yes, he wants us to repent and he wants us to be sanctified and grow, but he is not someone who is going to say, if you don't do this, 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 and this, that this person tells you, you're going to lose your salvation. And, you know, so, so to, to realize that, that I had believed a lie that was all of a sudden it was like, okay. I, I want to figure out, you know, how my perspective of God has been completely warped over the last 13 years. And so I got a lot of um, counseling. Uh, I actually borrowed enough money from my brother 
to spend three months without working, without, uh, you know, getting involved in any sort of, I mean, I didn't want to get involved in any sort of cause or any, I didn't want to date. I'd been single for 13 years at that point, hadn't been on a date. I, I was like, I'm not going on any dates. I want to get healed. I want to get my mind back to where I'm believing the truth and replacing every lie that I believed with truth. Mm. So I did that for three months and um, it was absolutely the most incredible. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that a lot of those things that I hadn't been healed of, we worked through those things. We worked through every lie that I had believed and and the scripture that was actually the truth of the matter. And um, it was about uh, two and a half months into my healing that I was invited to probably the biggest church in Enumclaw or one of the bigger churches in Enumclaw, and um, which is a suburb of Seattle here in Washington state. And I went in and I mean, this was like stepping foot back in, into a church um, that was a scary thing for me. Mm. And, but because I had been so manipulated and into thinking and brainwashed into thinking this us and them thing they're they don't really love God. They're on the wide road. They're, you know, they don't, they just don't even have They're you know, they're carnal Christians and they're, you know, all of that very judgmental, legalistic, uh, you know, we have the truth and they don't. So any sort of a message like that appeals to your pride. Mm -hmm. And and that was what, that was another thing God showed me was that I thought I had the inside track on what was really Christianity and all these other big churches, they don't really know. So, so now I'm going back to all those churches, right? And I'm, I'm having to say, okay, Lord, Every time I had a thought, one of those thoughts that, that I was brainwashed into thinking, I'd have to say, Holy Spirit, what do you say? Mm. Oh my goodness. That was the most powerful thing to do because in would come a scripture. I mean, I was, I remember the first time I went and the gal in the worship was barefoot on stage. She was leading worship and I was all, how dare she? How irreverent. Well, you know, I mean, just total cult attitude, right? Mm-hmm. And I, so then I remember, I come to my senses and I go, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you say? And it's like, uh, I'd say she's standing on holy ground. So what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I mean, and that happened over and over and over again. He would just come in with the perfect scripture to demolish my judgmental attitude. And about two months later, the pastor's wife, we were at a women's thing and she looked at me and said, you know, I told Ross, if anything ever happened to me, he needs to marry you. And I'm like, what? Hello? What? <laughs> because I used to sit there in church and go, God, can I have a guy like that? I mean, he loves his family. He's not a flirt. He loves his wife. He's transparent. He's humble. Can I have a guy like that? He's not a cult leader, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so she says that to me and I like freak out. 
I mean, head games like crazy. Does he know that she told me that I know, you know, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And so I actually ended up agreeing to go move in with my brother in San Antonio to help my mom. He, he was taking care of her through um, kind of her last days. And um, so I left and I, I, you know, all that abuse that happened to me in that, this little town of Enumclaw here in Washington, I was just, I don't want to be here anymore. And so I went to San Antonio. As far as I was concerned, I was never coming back. You can't make me God. And so I'm down there for 14 months and um, got my first invite to start a radio show on the Salem station at KSLR in um, San Antonio. That was the most amazing experience. I mean, talk about, I mean, I loved doing radio stuff before just being interviewed on the radio. So to actually host a show for women called Always Faithful, focusing on God's faithfulness was like, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. It was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, maybe uh, from that point on, it was maybe six months later. And the whole time I was there, I was thinking that God was having me wait for this friend of mine that I'd known for many years. And he'd gone through a traumatic divorce two years earlier. And we were just friends. We weren't dating or anything, but I was sure I was supposed to be waiting for him. So around uh, the end of 2013, God just started saying, no, you're not waiting for him. I had to repent. I had to just say, Lord, I don't care if you ever give me a husband. I am going to love you. You're my husband. I'm, you know, and I didn't do it in a way that was like, if I repent, maybe I'll get what I want, you know, that kind of thing. I didn't do, I just was like, okay, I give, I give all of that up to you. And about six days later, I get a text that wine press had closed their doors and got a message from my former landlord saying, would you come back and start something to help all these authors who lost their publisher?" And I couldn't, I mean, at first I was like, "Mm, I don't want to do that, (laughs) but I knew I had to, because it was my bad decision that put them all at risk and in a place where they didn't have a publisher anymore. Mm. So I said, I'll pray about it. And two days later, I knew I was supposed to do it. And so I came back to Washington and like this was, I surrendered on New Year's Eve. And it was the 24th of January that my plane ticket, I already had a plane ticket to come back and visit. So I ended up just doing a one-way ticket, coming back. And just a few days before uh, Ross had reached out to me because his wife, who said that to me, was diagnosed with cancer while I was in Texas. And three months later, she was gone, made a list on her deathbed of who he was allowed to consider marrying. And I was number one on the list. (laughs) And she even told all the kids, all all the adult kids, don't give your dad a hard time. He needs to get married and he needs to do it right away. So I've given him this list. So just don't give him any guff. So, I mean, that is a whole long story on how that all happened. But I basically came home to, I mean, the minute I saw him, he picked me up at the airport. I knew he was the one. 
and we ended up getting married six months later. Well, yeah, six months later and turned out that 13 years before he had bought a boat that they gave it a new name and they put it on the back of the boat, but it was still embroidered in the curtains down below. So my name is on all the curtains on our sailboat, Athena. (laughs) That is so amazing. I love this story. Yeah. And I love, you can't make this stuff up. You you can't make this stuff up. And I love how it is. It is a Cinderella story. And it's just so precious how you go through the story and share about when the realization hit that you found out who God really was and his character and how redeeming it was and how amazing it was to realize that that life that I thought was God wasn't true because who would want to live that kind of life? And, you know, so that is so powerful. And I, I do love when you were talking about how, you know, you went back and you're like, I'm not coming back here, God. (laughs) But he used the very thing that you could not say no to. Right. You know, it was just the very thing that you could not say no to. And it all tied with the whole story. It wasn't something different. It was it was all bringing it to redemption. And and now what is your publishing company called? Redemption Press. There you go. I love that so much. So is that kind of how redemption press was birthed through that mm-hmm. restoration. So beginning of 2014 in fact because the people who I'd allowed to take over wine press um, because they didn't declare bankruptcy because if it they had done that all the you know everything would have led back to the cult leader and he would have he would have they would have held him accountable and so they never did any sort of you know, a formal dissolution of the company. And because of that, when my former landlord said, come back, I'll give you your old office back. The desks are here. The files are here. The servers here, the customer list here, all of the stuff that I spent 20 years building Mm. was there for me to use. It was like, that was, you just, you can't make that stuff up. It was like, what? Because If they had gone through the process, that would have been an asset Mm. that the, uh, you know, bankruptcy department would have. Yeah, they would have seized it or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it. It just blew my mind to see how God redeemed every little piece. And then to be able to, you know, when you talk about taking action where our passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I went through that and God showed me that it was my unhealed wounding that made me vulnerable to deception. And and I come from a new age background. Well, there is so much new age stuff infiltrating the church Mm -hmm. where people are saying, movements are saying, oh, we're going to reclaim this for Christ. You can't, if something is born of the occult Mm -hmm. and that most of the new age movement, everything's got occultic roots. You can't sanctify that. Mm -hmm. You can't just sprinkle scripture on it and make it okay. 
that doesn't work. That opens the door to the enemy coming into our lives and deceiving us. So it's like, I'm seeing, you know, just the church hasn't been a real safe place for women, especially to say, I'm struggling, I'm hurting. I've gone through, you know, I got raped when I was 18 or I had an abortion or I, you know, my husband beats me up or, you know, any of those things, because the church isn't a safe place for that. We got a bunch of women out there who have never dealt with their wounding because it hasn't been safe to do it. Mm. And so what happens? They get deceived by the prosperity gospel or the new age, you know, that's filtering into the church or it's, it's scary. It really is. There is so much with this progressive Christianity and, you know, the lie of, you know, there wasn't a resurrection and, you know, just subtle things to begin with that are just demonic. And I know that you've talked about that too, because I've attended your, uh, she writes for him conferences. And I know when you talk about these things, you have a powerful message. You really speak truth and don't hold back because we need that balance of grace and truth. There's, there's a lot of grace out there, which is amazing and beautiful, but without the truth, it's not a balance that's healthy. And there's a lot of issues around that too. So this, this has been so amazing. Now tell us more about how the listener can connect with you about your podcasts, your upcoming conference and all of this that all ties together with your story. You bet. Well, I have um, a website, athenadeanholtz.com. And there are, uh, you know, connections to Redemption Press, to my All Things podcast, which is based on Romans 8, 28, where God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, just like he did with me. He used all that stuff, even the bad stuff, to work good and to bring good out of it. And then I also have Redeemed and Restored, which is a YouTube channel, but that also converts to a um, an audio podcast. And there, I believe on my website, there's also the link to the She Writes for Him. Mm. Uh, we have uh, virtual conferences every year and um, our conference in 2022 will be the end of March and first two days of April. But we're doing also our very first in-person She Writes and Speaks conference uh, called Proclaim in North Carolina. And we're going to be there middle of February. So we just announced that and are, we're just so super excited about it. All the details are at SheWritesAndSpeaks.com. Nice. I love that. I love how you've now incorporated the speaking to and how it goes together like that. And when you quoted the Romans 828 scripture, it just, I got those chills or I don't know, some people call them God bumps or whatever, because your story is so that, and it is just these stories that we tell, we're connected by our stories and it's a life application for other people to say, well, what do you mean he works all things together for good? There's a lot of bad stuff in this world, but it is encouraging to hear the whole story, not just parts of the story, but the whole story. God doesn't want us to edit out the things that are hard because it's all part of the whole story. And it, it was really impactful too in the beginning of the show when you mentioned that you really hadn't heard the gospel till you were in your 30s, right? 
And Mm -hmm. so we cannot assume that everybody walking around here in America has heard the gospel because just because there's a church on every corner, it does not mean that that church is preaching the gospel. And it doesn't mean that that person has heard the truth of the gospel because, you know, like you were saying, oftentimes people feel like they've got it, everything going on. They've got it together. They don't need anything, but there is a need. We all have that need in us that God put in us and they're filling it with other things and just don't realize what the true need is. So thank you for bringing that out because we can't take that for granted. And we need to use our voice. Here's just an example really quick. Someone actually asked me, right? Maybe about a year before I got saved. So are you a Christian? I'm like, well, I'm not Jewish and I'm American. So yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I, you know, there are probably more people like that out there that they think, you know, well, because they're in America, they're a Christian. You For know, sure. Go to church yeah. on Christmas or Yeah, Easter. I'm a priester. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a priester. I must be Christian. No, I really you are so absolutely right. Cause I know that uh, you know, when we do lay counseling and stuff. There's an intake form. It'll ask like, what it was your born again experience? When did you become a Christian? Well, I was born a Christian because that's how a lot of growing up in different faiths, you know, you just feel like you inherited your, your family's faith, but you have to have your personal relationship with Christ and your own personal faith. So thank you for bringing that up. That is so important today. And so it's just been such a joy to have you on. It's been fun. Amazing. Yes. Well, thank you, Athena. And I hope that you uh, will come on the show again sometime. Would love to. There's lots more to the story that kind of, you know, I mean, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Thank you. Because, yeah, there is more little bits in there that we can really break out. Right. So I think that'll be awesome. And I'm looking forward to that so much. So thank you, friend. Um, you oh, take care. You God bless you and your ministry and your, your marriage to your prince. Charming and pastor, you know, and so that is that is amazing. And I will talk to you soon, friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doris. God bless your podcast, too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Wasn't that a powerful story? And I just knew you had to hear it because every time I hear it, it just gives me chill bumps, the goosebumps, the God bumps, whatever you call them, because it is just such a testament of God's faithfulness as it, as Athena had shared. And the fact being that he does redeem and restore what the locusts have eaten and what the enemy tries to steal from us. And just so, so precious how God restored those things that were stolen from her. And the very things that were stolen from her were still there. And I just love that. And, you know, her Prince Charming, that she was able to finally marry a good and godly man that God had chosen, especially for her. What a beautiful story. And you can connect with Athena at athenadeanholtz.com. And be sure to check out and pick up her book, Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God, because God is so faithful. And I'd love to connect with you as well. So reach out to me on my page at daraswift.com. Check out the show notes for the links that we talked about today. And um, just let me know how Fierce Calling has blessed you. And I want to leave you with this blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 13. 
And I hope you'll join me next time when I chat with another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friends, have a blessed Thanksgiving, and I'll talk to you soon.